0: In a world where the government is not representative of the society it is governing, one can only help but wonder why. I got the opportunity to virtually sit down with Elizabeth Cruz of Democracy Beyond Elections to talk about some of the barriers that are between marginalized communities and active civic participation, and what we can do about it, as well as what participatory budgeting is already doing about it.
1: Hey, my name is Elizabeth Cruz. I'm the director of Democracy Beyond Elections with the Participatory Budgeting Project. Democracy Beyond Elections, or DBE as I'll call it, um, is a project of the Participatory Budgeting Project, but we are a national coalition. So we have state, local, national organizations, all dedicated to moving community-led decision-making processes that are accessible, equitable, and significant where they are. So locally um, or state-based or uh, more we're all moving forward uh, the work on a national level, so we're working to shift power from the hands of a few, like elected officials who have traditionally held all the power, to community members. And what I mean by community is folks that have been traditionally left out, so of, d- of decision making, so dis- disenfranchised groups, BIPOC community, undocumented folks, poor folks, youth. Um, making sure that these communities have a seat at the table, making sure that that table is more one where folks can show up to and participate and making sure that it is real decision-making power, not a survey or a feedback loop, but a chance to make decisions and have an impact. So also in addition to our coalition campaigns work, we work to develop new tools and models of participatory practices. Um, so last summer we brought together a group of coalition partners to develop a new model of participatory policymaking that we then piloted it earlier this year in a, a school campus in Brooklyn, a high school campus in Brooklyn. Um, and we're right now turning all of that work into a toolkit that folks can um, access and be able to more easily be able to implement and advocate for Participatory policy making and other participatory
0: practices. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> I great that it's not something that is available in one place, and then others have to then access it or figure out how they're going to access it. I think it's good that it's being distributed um, because obviously with marginalization, access is probably the biggest issue. Access to. Right resources, access to toolkits, so forth and so on. So thank you for that. In your professional and personal opinion, uh, Mm -hmm. you think have been some of the biggest barriers between underserved communities and active civic participation.
1: First, I wanna call out, you're calling it civic participation versus civic engagement. Um, We feel like civic engagement is about people showing up or showing up to a council meeting or or doing a thing every two or four years. Um, But civic participation is about shifting power. So shifting who is deciding that thing that affects your everyday life. Um, My background is in electoral politics. Um, So I have a background in policy advocacy. I was one of those folks that kind of gave up everything to go work for the Obama campaign in 2008. Um, and then I went to work in, in local elections and state elections. And one of the reasons why I'm here, um, my, my own personal evolution is that I learned that it's not enough to just elect one person here or one person there, even a group of people. Um, what I fundamentally feel is that we need participatory democracy. We need to shift power um, from, from the folks that are elected or appointed to the community more broadly. Which gets me to one of the biggest barriers to underserved communities actively participating in civic life is that our civic structures have been intentionally built to keep them out. Um, even now, we're seeing this new round of legislation from state legislators that are building more barriers to ensure that people can't even access the most basic of, of civic life, which is the ballot box. Um, so we've seen since its founding, these systems put in place that that help to keep people from accessing them, which relates to trust, which relates to that you know accessible piece. That's one of the the biggest challenges that. We're we're seeing and that we've always seen is that if we want to to really engage people like even we see it in participatory budgeting for the past 10 years the work that we do if you participate um, in how decisions are being made you're actually more likely to go vote if you feel like you have that power it helps to build trust in government and communities that for very valid reasons has been eroded over the the many years.
0: First off you and I are cool already because (laughs) intent these systems being intentionally designed to do what yes. they're doing is something that people miss. They mm-hmm. miss it or they ignore it or they feel as though the way the world works now is, is far smoother and more peaceful than our past. And I think that because things are a little better on a grand scheme, people don't want to accept that how the world works was, was designed. The system itself is a is a literal system, right? And so every part of it works mm-hmm. together and it was intentionally built that way. And so I'm appreciative of your recognition of that. What other side effects of this intentional system that has been built do you see within marginalized communities? It all goes back to power. I'm
1: going to talk about power this whole time because it's who... Gets the power. And I'm not even just talking about elected officials. Who even has power over them? I mean, when you look at the way capitalism works in our system and works in our country, the people who have the most power are even like not the people who elect these folks to be in office, but it's the people who can afford to give them the most money. So our democracy, while it has some really good things about it, it's fundamentally broken, not just by the, the ways that it has intentionally been built to exclude people, but it's also broken in who is able to make a decision and how those decisions have been made. So I hear from folks all the time saying, yeah, like even my in my electoral work, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I vote for. And, you know, through you know, a lot of my electoral work that this is the sad fact was that was true or it mattered on the margins. So, you know, it might, it might mean, you know, a few more dollars coming into their community or, um, X, Y, Z thing happening that, that helped on the margins, but it wasn't like that bigger systemic things. I mean, the good thing is we are seeing more elected officials coming into power that, um, are making those commitments to the community to do and push for some large scale systemic change. But I just, I worry that our democracy is so fundamentally broken that if we don't invest in these community led solutions and give the power to these communities to make those changes and make those decisions that affect their everyday life, we're just going to keep this cycle of winning or finding and losing and not seeing anything change.
0: And, and what's crazy is that the logic behind keeping people out of positions of power makes no sense. We are such a diverse country and in such a diverse world where we all live and think in not only different but often contradictory ways, right? So it's, it's nearly impossible for one government to please everyone completely. However, everyone can be addressed equally, right? And, and the best way to do that is to have people who come from these groups in decision-making position yeah. so that they can give the valid perspective, the qualified perspective to then satisfy people within these groups. I, I never have understood in all my years of understanding how the government works. Why, if, <laughs> if, <laughs> if the decisions that involve me, why does no one look like me make these decisions?
1: Mm, no one from yeah. my
0: neighborhood is making decisions about my neighborhood. No one that is a part of, of my race or of my gender or my sex is making these decisions that pertain to such things and i don't get it mm-hmm. there are qualifications for everything why is <laughs> why <laughs> why isn't identity one of them like right. i i never, I've never understood that ever at all um and i i, right. I hope that it's something that, on a smaller scale, people of power will realize, or if they've already realized it, will then be honest about it publicly. Use that mm-hmm. power that they have to, to make those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. What would be some of the benefits that you would want people in power to know about bringing in? people from marginalized groups to to make decisions about said groups what what are the benefits that you would like for them to understand to further encourage them to do this
1: to me the the more representative of a community that um, of a, a decision that is being made, the better the decision is period. So the more that you bring people or you, you share your power with your community that you're representing, the, the better the decision-making is. And when I say better, I mean, the more likely it is to have an impact and serve the the interest of that community. Um, so it's, it's really important to, and, and like I said, I feel like, I mean, even, have, have you participated in a community meeting? like, Or do you do that a lot and how does that go? Like, what do you feel like?
0: Are you asking me personally? I am. I do, however, mm-hmm. um, I never think of my experiences with civic participation as completely valid is because I have certain privileges that people in mm. that I come from don't. And so when I walk into um, a town hall or when I am going into a building to speak to someone about something that may have happened, I've been given tools, language, and a certain um, certain skills mm. that people, conversation skills, communication skills that, that aren't given to people in the communities that I've grown up in, the communities that I was in were always black and brown heavy and lower middle class. I, I've been given certain opportunities to develop certain skills that give me a presence in a room to where people listen. Um, mm. that everyone doesn't have that. Everyone does not And I didn't get these things until I went to college anyway. And that's a step that some people in this in these communities don't get to as well. So I I can't, I can't use mine. Um, But what I will say is that from what I've seen, even down to courtrooms, I've been in a courtroom attempting to get a, um, a restraining order. And while my circumstances were fine and, and I went through the process pretty smoothly, there were other Black people in that room who approached the bench asking for help. And it's because, because I can only assume because the differences between them and myself would be language, vocabulary, the way Mm. I speak, how I'm able to conduct myself, essentially, because I'm able to to code switch, I'm able to maneuver in a certain way. And those that are not, those that were not, were denied very quickly. I think what often happens is that people who are in these communities don't have the same skill sets, they don't have the same culture and the same day-to-day mannerisms as those that are in power. And so mm-hmm. those that are in power don't understand it and they look down upon it. And because certain people are not taught to code switch and can't go into these environments and and chameleon themselves to <laughs> those that are in power, they get denied or they become belittled by the responses from the people that they're talking to and it discourages them from participating in anything that involves uh, civics it's it's, wow yeah it has become in my opinion civic participation has become Mm -hmm. a field for those who are educated and able to cope. switch
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we absolutely uh, we haven't reached a level to where we can honestly communicate with people who don't have the same credentials as us
1: Uh, amazing i mean that's an amazing answer it's about expertise and what kind of expertise is generally valued when you go into a community meeting or by those folks that are in power they don't value um that people are experts in their own lived experience and it doesn't have to or need to be filtered through a college degree to be valid that's just so powerful to me i I come from a very like i from like rural poverty in the deep south Um, And I don't think it would have even occurred to my parents to go to the government for help, or to go to a community meeting, or to, you know, participate in that way, because there's just that trust, like, it's just not for them, like, it's not built for them. So, Yes,
0: 100%. The largest example, honestly, um, would be the Tuskegee experiments. And even though Mm. that's specifically medical, what it speaks to is groups of power not having our best interest at heart. The Tuskegee experiments, no one will ever say that it was a mistake. No one that reads those articles or hears about this will, will sit and say, oh, that's an unfortunate mishap versus this was intentionally done without without yes, without, <laughs> yes. Without, care, without care for for the population in which they were experimenting on so what now should i trust about about this system that has done that and so much more right mm-hmm. so I, I definitely agree i think it's a lack of trust and i think it is culture differences that keep us from being able to communicate with people that are in power um and when you can't communicate with someone not just that but your form of communication is then belittled because it's not like uh, it's not like they're just not mainstream. It discourages you.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's like it's almost not trusted. Like when you don't speak a certain way, it's like it's it's a lack of trust on both sides. That it just is more brokenness in our system.
0: What are some of the challenges that keep us from even wanting to engage now, right? So we have these tools to offer, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that they're automatically accepted. Have you seen any type of barriers to community outreach and and how have you solved them?
1: For participatory democracy or participatory budgeting or any of these uh- co-governance strategies, uh, we've learned that it takes time, it takes learning, it takes trust, and it takes resources. So the time needed to make sure, as I said before, you're designing with the community and not for the community. You know, changing, it's not a quick fix. It's not a one-time thing. It's about fundamentally changing business as usual. So it's long-term systemic change that we're trying to do here. Um, It took time for all of those barriers we've been talking about to participation to be put up and affirmed and become a part of their system. So it's going to take time for us to dismantle those barriers and rebuild something together. Um, It also takes time for a process, a participatory process to happen. So it's not about just like showing up and doing on votes, like in, in just doing your thing, although we're seeing those barriers where it's not just about showing up and voting. It's about, you know, standing in line for five hours, um, but to, uh, to design with a community and to do a process right where you're engaging the community at every single level, that, that takes time, that takes patience. For a long time, people have known government, um, you know, it doesn't work for them or isn't designed to help them. Um, So these communities are powerful. They're already doing amazing things. And, but this is about bridging that gap into civic participation and real decision making power. So to do this, it takes, it takes that time again to build the trust that things are going to be different and that your decisions are going to be honored. So it's not just about like saying, okay, community, you can decide this and then going behind closed doors and doing something different. It's making sure that those decisions are honored and that they're significant. I don't have to tell you how resources and funding impact this type of work. So funders often think, okay, well, what can, what impact can we make in one year? What can we do in two years? Like list out your bullet points of how you're going to change democracy in, in a short amount of time. And we really need to be having this longer term systemic change mindset, or we're just going to be putting out fires um, until we kind of, begin to build something and change something a little bit differently. So you have to have the long-term strategy of resourcing the work, but you also need to make sure that that those funds aren't just going to the national organizations or the local organizations or the state organizations, but they're actually like going into community members. So they're being paid for their time, their creativity, their collaboration. If they show up, Um, every week to be a member of a steering committee or every two weeks that we are valuing their expertise and and resourcing them to to come and show up.
0: Is there an age group that you all target for this type of participation um, specifically?
1: That is a really good question. So um, we work with all, all ages, but one thing that we're particularly excited about is when we work with the youth. Um, because like one thing that we've seen in New York City, um, you know, kids, uh, youth as young as eight can show up and participate in them. our municipal processes we've had for participatory budgeting in all of our high schools for the past year or so um, we just piloted this program with a group of schools in Brooklyn to do participatory policy making and participatory budgeting. So they're deciding on policy changes and and buckets of money that affect how their safe is, school is safe and supporting their students. Um, So when we work, and the reason why we're excited to work with youth is that when we work with youth, we are changing that mindset and changing that expectation about what it means to participate in democracy, what democracy can and should look like it's kind of a, also a long-term systemic change mindset that, that we're equipping these students to be able to go out to the world and participate and expect democracy to be different than the way that, that I've experienced it or my parents are experiencing it. So they're, they're able to make those demands and do democracy a little bit differently. Um, They're also left out. So like um, undocumented communities, they are not able to participate in in electoral processes or decision-making in a meaningful way. So this is a way for them to really lift their voice and have a a strong say in the way that these decisions are made in their community.
0: We can only do so much with um, with adults who are set in a certain mindset right Mm -hmm. now. Because if that was the case, uh, racism might be diminished, but that's not the case. Uh, What other role would you say democracy beyond elections plays in increasing civic participation in these communities?
1: So our coalition is very strong, diverse, and deep. You know, like I said, we have local, statewide, national partners. Our local and statewide partners are building a base of folks who are Black-led and serve BIPOC communities, poor communities, undocumented communities, and youth. Um, for instance, Ujima in Boston has been embedding community-led decision-making in all of their work since they started in 2017. They have developed a deep membership base that makes decisions on local investment and policy- policy priorities. Um, Workers' dignity in Nashville is building power with the immigrant community to have more say in local development and labor practices. Um, We have national organizations like People's Action and the Center for Popular Democracy that are working to expand the field and build and think through what other participatory practices we can explore, how we can equip those member organizations, but also those elected officials that are like movement elected officials from their leadership pipeline to be able to do this work. So we're coming together to realize this deep transformation in democracy at all levels. And uh, we're actually about to launch a campaign to realize how local communities can leverage decisions from federal decisions at the local level. So we're we're looking to build in participatory practices into our funding and how that gets allocated to ensure that those voices that have been most impacted by COVID are at the center of making the decisions about where that money goes. Even with the participatory budgeting project over the past 10 years of doing PB, we've learned a lot about the power of participation to empower leaders. So we've seen the power of transformative practices in PB. We know folks are more likely to vote in local elections if they participated in PB and that people that participate in PB are more likely to be from the BIPOC community. They're more likely to be undocumented. They're more likely to be youth. They're more likely to be women. So we are like really building this kind of transformative power at the local level and scaling up to impact those decisions that are made on a national level.
0: And you know what, up until this very moment, I often thought that, you know, working at the local level is a great start to eventually changing this country as a whole, but you know what? our communities across the nation are so different from one another when you compare Mm. them. I think federal government is important and it plays its role. If we can strengthen local governments so much to where what happens in federal government doesn't affect us, and I mean on a personal level, how we Mm. think about things, how oppressed and suppressed we may feel. If we can strengthen our communities it may not even matter. And the attitude Mm -hmm. towards federal elections, which we won't get into the corruption of that and why people don't feel like their vote matters there. But with Mm -hmm. local, I honestly think that what you all are doing will strengthen local communities to where federal actions and initiatives won't matter. And what happens at that level won't affect us as much because we'll be so strong as an individual community that has specific needs. Right. Mm -hmm. I I can see that. I want that for us as a country. I want to know if there's anything you would like uh, other organizations to know about reaching marginalized communities. What can these organizations do if they're trying to do local outreach in order to better their experience and get uh, um, a better outcome?
1: Yeah, so I'll go back to my design with, not for, nothing about us without us. Uh, That really means letting communities lead in how organizations run outreach and engagement and participation. It means the time and planning before you engage a community to make sure that those folks are leading and that you're actually resourcing those people to do the work. Um, So at the center of deciding what kind of support resources and other designs people need to be able to fully show up. Um, also uh, shifting power, again, talking about power, people are experts in their own lived experiences. It's not enough to reach folks, but really need to be led by the communities they're identifying and, and working with. And I think that also means looking within your organization. So thinking about what power you have and how can you share that power? How can you share those decision-making responsibilities with the community? So one, one thing that we're doing as part of the DB Equality is we're developing a participatory budgeting in organizations toolkit. So that will allow you to kind of look at your budget, look at pots of money and really engage your community, however you define it in making those decisions with you. So you're not just developing a program that you think is gonna work, but you're actually working to co-develop and co-design a program with the people that you're serving.
0: I wanna know why this work specifically is personal to you.
1: Wow, so I talked about that a little bit earlier with my background in um, politics, uh, electoral politics. So I spent a lot of my years, my formative years, working with politicians, working with elected officials, working with political parties to transform democracy and to transform the way that we support and work with the most marginalized people. So I am from the rural South. I grew up up in poverty, very poor, and I really wanted to help my people. I wanted to help people who who didn't have the resources that they needed to be successful, the first-generation college students. I, I really thought that that getting better people elected was the answer. After many many years of doing that, even at the local level, I thought you know getting getting better people elected to city council would be key. Um, I just learned it's not enough. It's it's not going to be the answer, in my opinion, to the problem with with our country and the problem with our democracy. So I I begin to Research and learn different ways, which led me to participatory budgeting, which kind of led me to to where I am now. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. I think participatory budgeting and participatory practices are amazing, and when done right, when designed with the community and centering those that have been most underserved and marginalized, it is an amazingly powerful tool to change the way that we do democracy. But it's not. Um, there, there are ways that the system can co-opt it. Um, we've seen that, you know, the way that when you get that really great person that you've worked with and think is gonna change everything, they get into the system as it exists and they become co-opted. So you think they're gonna do all of these amazing things and they, they, learn, they learn about how the system works and they, they get involved in the system and they may or may not do the things that you want them to do, but it shouldn't be up to one person to do the right thing. I I just fundamentally don't believe that that's the way that we're going to change power. So I believe in participatory democracy. I believe in in moving that power to the people who are experts in their own lived experience. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in Brooklyn high schools when you say, oh, we're going to let students decide how to spend a pot of money. Adults tend to think, oh, they're going to want pizza parties or game rooms or whatever, which are fine things to want. It's okay if that's what they want. But what they want is gender neutral bathrooms so that their peers can feel safe when they need to go use a restroom. What they want are school safety councils so so that they can meet regularly and have some accountability with their school safety officers and how they treat students. So I've I've seen it work, I believe in it. I think we have to, you know, really keep that design with and not for and making sure that um, we're centering the the voices of the folks that we, we want to serve in those decisions.
0: Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for sitting down, well, virtually sitting down. (laughs) We are still in a pandemic. (laughs) I I really appreciate you. This is something that is close to my heart as well, being a young Black woman who technically, as right now, is a a young mother. And though I am college educated, I still have parts of my life that are oppressed and suppressed by the system. I come from communities that are marginalized have been and still are in many ways Mm -hmm. I am appreciative of what you all are doing for all I know because I'm sure you all are are everywhere you could have impacted a community that I've lived in because I've been everywhere Uh (laughs) (laughs) I say from the bottom of my heart thank you because while I hear about efforts that are going on all the time I have not personally sat down with anyone and so I'm very appreciative of you and I hope Um, that you all continue for as long as you can and flourish within your journey.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to speak to our work and and having a really amazing conversation with you. I feel like I know you better. Tell everybody where they
0: can reach you and where they can learn more about DV.
1: Yeah, so you can visit us at democracybeyondelections.org or to learn more about participatory budgeting, you can uh, find us at participatorybudgeting.org.